Welcome back to The Pete Space. Hallett Life Sciences, sponsor of this podcast, is committed to bringing educational tools such as The Pete Space for sharing best practices and compelling conversations across a wide variety of pediatric urology and VUR topics. The content of today's episode is solely the opinion of Shelley King, certified pediatric nurse practitioner and director of the Children's Continent Center at Riley Children's Hospital in Indianapolis, Indiana. This is the third episode of our series on bowel and bladder dysfunction. I'm Cynthia Hanna, and today I will be talking with Shelly about her approach to bowel and bladder dysfunction, diagnosis, evaluation, and treatment. Thanks so much for joining us today, Shelly. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk about these very common problems in pediatrics. Well, let's begin. So if you can share with our listeners, what is a bowel and bladder dysfunction clinic? Well, these are specialized clinics that are utilized to promote overall bowel, bladder health, urinary tract health. We see referrals for pediatric incontinence, constipation with fecal incontinence, urinary tract infections, urinary frequency, urinary urgency, hematuria, painful urination, difficulty initiating a urinary stream. We see kids with vesicoureteral reflux. We see patients who can't empty their bladder very well. And um, we see the associated diagnoses the developmental delays, Down syndrome. We see some patients with autism. ADHD or ADD are very common types of patients we see with these types of issues. That is very interesting. That's a wide array of diagnosis there. So when are the children usually referred? Like what age? And is there a difference between a female referrals, male referrals? Do you see one of more of the other? Yeah. And, it, you know, the age is highly variable. And so whenever parents are concerned and they start talking to their pediatricians or their family practice physicians, sometimes it's even internal referrals from our group here because certainly kids could be referred for a surgical problem and also have one of these types of diagnosis associated. So these kids could be any any time after you would expect toilet training to be complete. And uh, sometimes our definition of that and the family's definition of that could be a little bit different. But, you know, normally they're at least five years of age. And a lot of times they're approaching school. And certainly if you're having trouble with incontinence or frequency, it's difficult to go to class. And so we always start by, you know, meeting the parents where they're at, what I call demystification of the problem, where we talk about what exactly is going on. You know, the child is not emptying their bowel and bladder properly. Uh, they may have improper toileting habits. And so then we try to provide very accurate information about normal urinary lower tract function. So how the bladder fills, we talk about the bladder filling at a very low pressure. When you need to urinate, you get a little change in pressure. That's first urge or your warning that you're going to need to go. And then when you go to the bathroom, you're able to relax and empty your bladder to completion. And so these kids have some variation in this voiding pattern that's usually a learned response. And in fact, today, the kids that we're talking about are learned voiding behaviors, not the neurologic or structural abnormalities that we sometimes see. Typical evaluation starts with a, a complete history. And the history, really, most of the information we need is in the what we call the elimination history. How often do you go to the bathroom? How urgent is it? Do you have accidents on the way? Do you have accidents after you urinate? Do you also have bowel accidents? Have you had urinary tract infections? And what age did you toilet train? So that's a typical sort of information gathering that we get at the beginning of the visit. And we use a a questionnaire called the Vancouver that allows parents to detail these answers. So what does your management look like of these children? Well, it's a little bit variable for each patient, but 
again, going back to evaluation to help us determine what needs to be done and for management. One of the tests that's highly informative is something called an EMG and flow rate. And this requires putting little tiny electrodes on your bottom and that picks up the muscle activity in the bladder, kind of like an EKG picks up muscle activity of the heart. And so it tells us if the kids are able to relax that muscle that I was talking about earlier, the sphincter to let all the urine out. And so if that's part of the problem, then our therapy is going to be at teaching relaxation so you can be voiding to completion. And the kids who have this sort of what we refer to as dysenergia, where the bladder is contracting to, to void and the kids are tightening up, they also develop these overactive bladder symptoms. It's when the bladder is squeezing and then there's constantly tightening of the sphincter, it causes the bladder to behave irregular by contracting a little bit too often. So that's as they have this for longer periods of time, they also start to develop secondary symptoms such as going to the bathroom frequently, not emptying their bladder, urinary tract infections, those types of things. But the hallmark mark of therapy uh, for these patients is a time toileting regimen, going to the bathroom every couple hours, sitting on the potty in the appropriate position with your bottom well supported so you don't feel like you're going to fall in, taking a deep breath, relaxing. And if the kids can't learn to do that, sometimes it requires physical therapy or we have these fancy games that we use where kids play video games that help them learn how to relax the pelvic floor. They're kind of like a it's a guided imagery where when your pelvic floor is relaxed, for example, and a dolphin might be swimming on the bottom of the floor. And when your pelvic floor is tight, the dolphin might be jumping through hoops. So that helps the kids identify the difference between relaxation and being tight. And it helps keep them focused on what we're trying to learn. And then they can use it at home when they're sitting on the potty to remember, oh, you know, when the dolphin was doing this, I was relaxed. And I think it helps them recreate that at home. But along with this, we also have to remember, you know, the proper amount of fluid intake, making sure we're not constipated. If there's a need for medication to treat constipation, making sure they don't drink things that are irritating to the bladder, like caffeine, carbonation, citric acid, those kind of things. And then staying on the strict schedule for the bath. Bathroom. So Shelly, what are some other management tools? Sometimes we need medications to help relax a bladder or help relax the sphincter, but primarily behavioral modification is effective in this group of kids. It does require a lot of effort from the parents. And so success is usually directly equal to how much energy and effort that the family can put in and how well the child will work with the family as a team in this situation. I will say too, while this is not a structural problem or a neurologic problem, it does deserve focus and treatment because these kids, often their self-confidence and self-esteem is affected by accidents. They don't participate in their peer activities or you know, after school sports and those kinds of things. So I do feel like it's really important to address this. But it's also hard to get kids in this age group to talk to us about how being incontinent affects them. You know, they don't really have the language that they can use to to talk to us about it. So we use a special team called the Patient Engagement Core, and this is a group that meets kids where they're at by using play therapy and kid activities to get this type of information. For example, they might say, "Let's do a collage on you know." how you feel about yourself or things that represent you. And so we give them a lot of pictures and they get to cut out pictures. And what we find is, you know, the pictures are dramatically more happy and more self-fulfilled after incontinence has been managed. So that's just one example. Another one was using like superheroes. If you were a superhero, what kind of superhero would you be? And what would your superpower be? And a lot of times these things are directed at whatever they're experiencing so that they can get better. So we find a lot of information through play therapy with the younger kids. Do you usually involve the schools and daycares? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a very good point. And we can't do it without them because they have to, if you're not managing the problem the same way the parents are at home, then you lose that connection. And certainly therapies don't work nearly as well if everybody's not on the same page. We also say like grandma and grandpa should be involved and understand what's what the kids are supposed to be doing as well. But they don't keep the kids on a schedule during the day, then it's definitely a lot slower process in terms of improvement. So during this time of COVID and the kids are home more, you see really good outcomes, yeah, right? Yeah, uh, absolutely. We've seen a decrease in referrals and we've seen kids that were referred that didn't come. And when we reached out to see if they needed to schedule, they're like, no, we've been working hard on this uh, since we made the referral and the kids are doing better. The parents are focused on getting them to the bathroom and working on you know, getting the bladder empty and managing constipation. And the kids are doing much better. We do a lot of telemedicine. And actually, we've been doing telemedicine for at least 15 years. And this is a great group of kids. And since we're the only pediatric urology department in the state, we have a you know a long distance that people travel to see us. So if I can at least screen a child with telemed, and then I'm not bringing him down just to discuss what therapies and things they need, I can get everything set up and rolling. And then I can bring him into the hospital if they really need additional testing, like bladder ultrasounds, KUBs, those kind of things. And, and for the kids who don't get that you know, better with basic therapy over a year or so, you know, the more aggressive evaluations with your dynamics, MRIs and those kinds of things. But certainly that's a, a very small percentage of refractory patients that don't get better with the basic therapies. What is, what does resolution of this problem look like? Is there a timeline that you go by? Yeah, that's a great question too. And it's highly variable. And it's something that almost all parents ask us in the first visit, you know, when is this going to get better? And I don't have a really a strong answer for that. I again say, you know, uh, success is directly related to how much work we put into it. And parents are so busy now, you know, both parents are working, kids are, you know, involved in a lot of other activities. And I think it's really hard to stay focused. And if you can imagine being a parent after a hard day at work, and you're coming home at night, and now you have to focus on making sure a child is going to the bathroom on a schedule, making sure that they've had a bowel movement that day or taking any medications that they needed for that, how much fluid they've had going with them to the bathroom to make sure that they're trying to relax. I think it's a really, it's a lot on parents to expect all this. So it takes it takes quite a while. And the kids who have constipation, I think, are the hardest because that's a very hard problem to break. Constipation is a hard thing to fix. So if a child tells you that they're going poop once a day, does that necessarily mean that they're not constipated, Shelley? No, absolutely not. And that's it's always amazing to me when we have these visits because we'll ask about constipation and bowel movements and the parents will always say, you know, they go to the bathroom every day and it's absolutely normal. They have no problems. And then I'll pull out this little card that I keep in my pocket, uh, the Bristol stool scale that has pictures of poop. And the kids always love this little card with the pictures of poop. But when I ask them to identify what it looks like, they invariably identify constipation. And the parents are always in shock. Really? That's what it looks like? And then we find out that they don't go every day and that sometimes it hurts and sometimes they can't flush it. And <laughs> so the parents are always kind of like the last to know that their kids are dealing with this. So it's a surprise. And, but it is helpful to have the card because then I think the parents are a believer that the kids can identify this. And, and sometimes you struggle with parents who don't understand how important it is to manage constipation or how closely correlated it is. And some, that's when we use KUB sometimes to show them the bowel pattern and why it's important to treat it. Well, thank you so much for all of this information. Is there anything else you'd like to, to tell our listeners? 
Well, I would like to add, yeah, well, that these are clinics that are around the country. They're typically manned by nurse practitioners and physician's assistants, as well as some very amazing nurses. There's a group called the Pediatric Urology Nurse Specialists. And if I may put out a little shout out for them, this is an amazing a group of people who work very closely with these patients in clinics all over the country. And we meet annually. And this is always a big topic for us is, you know, what's new? What are people doing different? And how are we gaining success? Because it's a, a big population of patients that we see, probably close to 40% of the pediatrology practices have these sorts of associated diagnoses. So it's a wonderful group. And if you're a pediatric urologist with a nurse, or a, a urologist in general with a nurse that needs this additional training, that's a great conference and a great group to have mentor your staff. So Shelly, are there any other resources out there for parents to access to help them with this journey? Yeah, there are other resources. And I think on your second podcast, Dr. Steve Hodges presented, and he has a book called It's No Accident that was very helpful. And I recommended that to a lot of our patients. There's also other books just about kids and toilet training that I think are really helpful. Thank you, Shelly, for joining us this week on the Ped Space. And thank you for our listeners for joining us this week. We hope you enjoyed Shelly's perspective. Feel free to share with your colleagues. And while we deliver more pediatric urology-focused content in the next coming weeks, there are some great resources for you and your patients at deflux.com. Additionally, you can learn more about our company and our products at palatelifesciences.com. 